0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from Living Hope Church in Skokie, Illinois, featuring the preaching of Pastor Daniel Mann. For more information about our church, please visit us online at livinghopechicago.com. We hope that today's message will encourage you in your relationship with God. I want you to suppose that you have a, a third grade child. It's crazy for me to think about, but I, I do. I have a third grade daughter. So I want you to suppose you have a third grade child. Let's say it's a boy. And your third grade boy comes to you and says, Daddy, what does it mean to grow up and be a man and not a woman? Or maybe you have a third grade daughter and she comes to you as a mother. Your third grade daughter says, Mommy, what does it mean to grow up to be a woman and not a man? You know, I really believe that all children ask themselves that question and want to know what that they they know that they're a boy or a girl. But, you know, children are not the only ones that have those questions. And we are in a moment in history where questions about men and women are at the forefront of, of so many conversations. And quite frankly, there's so much confusion. Issues about gender are front and center. You know, we're in the midst of the gender revolution, and there's some some really disturbing and, frankly, some very strange things happening in our world right now. The Episcopal Church, which is a denomination of churches, is, is debating whether or not to change the language in their common book of prayer. The common book of prayer is like a, a sacred text to them, something they use for their their prayer time, for their devotional readings. It's been something in their history for for many, many years. And the denomination of the Episcopal Church is considering changing the language in the book of prayer because many view words like Father, King, and Lord as too male. The country of Germany is in the midst of controversy over their language being too sexist with male nouns describing the majority of job openings and their national anthem referring to the fatherland. I didn't know this but in the German language they have a specific word for doctor that's only male doctors and they have a specific word for doctors that refer to female doctors. You know in in English here in the United States and when you say "I'm, I'm seeing my doctor today that could be a man or a woman but in Germany they have very gender specific names for Doctors and their national anthem refers to the fatherland, and a lot of people want to change the wording and the language because it's too sexist. There are so many tragic stories about the abuse and mistreatment of women at the hands of men in positions of power. It seems like every, every week we hear about a new person, a, a, a new man in the news who's being fired or in the midst of controversy, because of how they've mistreated and abused women. Um, If you're familiar with the hashtag Me Too movement, where men like Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, Al Franken, Roger Ailes, Roy Moore, Matt Lauer, Charlie Rose, Bill O'Reilly, and the list keeps growing and growing and growing of men who've misabused uh, their power. A lot of people think that the teaching of the Bible is, is a big part of the problem. In fact, there are people that think that following the teaching of the Bible actually leads to the oppression of women. Is that true? Well, as a follower of Jesus, I contend that sin is what leads to confusion and and chaos and oppression. But that God's word and God's ways lead to stability, to peace and human flourishing. And in the passage we are going to read this morning, uh, the word man is used 15 times, and the word woman is used 16 times. This passage doesn't tell us everything we need to know about men and women, but it does help us to formulate a, a biblical view of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, and what God's plan is for men So, will you stand with me if you're able, and I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to begin in verse 2. We're going to read down to verse 16. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. Every man, praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one, as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, forasmuch as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angel's. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman. But all things of God, judge in yourselves. Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for if her hair is given, for her hair is given her, for a covering. But if, if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom; neither the churches of God. The apostle Paul appealed to the church in Corinth to live in such a way that honors the order that God had established among men and women and what I want to preach to you about today what I believe this text is saying is that we should live our lives in such a way that honors the order that God has established among men and women that we should honor in the way that we live the order that God has established among men and women now what is involved in that Uh, What principles are involved in that? I want to look at three principles that we see in this text that will help us to live in such a way that honors the order that God has established among men and women. Will you pray with me? Father, we do live in such a confusing time. So many people are confused and there is a lot of chaos even. There's so many questions, much of it, Lord, is so uh, divisive. And we desperately need the the clarity, the the order, the stability, the flourishing that comes from your ways. And Lord, we just acknowledge that all that you do is good and perfect. And that it is sin that uh, corrupts and destroys. I pray you'd give us all, men and women, open hearts uh, to your truth. And that we would be submitting our will to you, Lord. And live in such a way that honors what you have established. Trusting and believing that you are good and that all that you establish is for our good. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're talking about honoring the order that God established. And what is involved in honoring that order that God has established among men and women? I want you to see, first of all, here, the first principle is that we should honor that God has established the man as the head of the woman. We should honor that God has established the man as the head of the woman. In verse 2, Paul praises the Corinthians He's he's praising them because they were following the ordinances that he delivered. And the word ordinance means a a, a tradition that he had given them, a good tradition, a good practice that he had delivered to them that they should continue. And in verse 3, he tells them about something he wanted them to know. And in verse 3, what he wanted them to know was the divine order that God has established. And he gives this order. It begins with God, God the Father. And then... goes to Christ that God is the head of Christ and then from Christ it goes to man that God is the head of Christ that Christ is the head of man and then from man it goes to woman that God is the head of Christ Christ is the head of man and man is the head of woman that that's what God wanted them to see about the order that God had established now the word head in this passage, has been the source of much debate through the years by people who read and study the Bible. And there are really two different meanings that it could have. Some say that it means authority, while others say that it doesn't mean authority, but it means source or origin. So some people on one hand say the word head means authority, and the other says that the word means source or origin, which is correct. Well, in this context, it appears that both ideas are involved because the Bible said here that God created Eve from Adam. So in that sense, Adam was the source. Ultimately, God created Eve. Adam didn't create Eve, but God created Eve from Adam, from the source of Adam. And so in that way, Eve did come from Adam. In that way, he was her source. But this text also asserts the authority of of Adam and the authority of man. And so the main practical issue here that Paul is dealing with is uh, in this passage, he's, he's really answering a question. It was a cultural question of their day, something that we don't deal with in our day. But here was the question, very practical question that they had in their church. Should a woman in the Corinthian church, should she wear the head covering... In the worship service. Now, it was customary in their culture for married Jewish women to wear head coverings, like a shawl, over their head and shoulders. It was customary for that to be worn in public. And there was evidence, strong evidence, that that was customary among Greeks as well. And it seems that some of the women in the Corinthian church were really disregarding this custom. We're not exactly told why they, they were disregarding this custom, but but Paul was, was, was very clear on what he was teaching, that, that the Corinthian women should wear the, the physical head covering. And the reason he says they should wear the physical head covering is to show their honor, their respect, their submission to the authority of their head. And he uses head, not in this case their physical head. Now let me stop for just a second and... I don't want to confuse you. I want to try to see if I can clarify something. You have to understand that he's using the word head sometimes in a literal way and sometimes in a spiritual way. So when he says that the woman is to wear the covering over her head, that's talking about physical. Her physical head is to be covered so that she doesn't dishonor her head. That's talking about dishonoring her spiritual head. And so Paul is telling the women of this church that they should wear the physical Uh, head covering, they should wear the shawl in order that in the culture around them, they could show honor to the order that God has established as the man being the head of the woman. And so what does it mean? What does it mean for the man to be the head of the woman? Well, in this case, he's talking about uh, the fact of authority. He's talking about the fact of him being in position of, of leadership. Now, a lot of people have a problem with that, and in our culture, that seems to be a very difficult concept, but we see this principle illustrated so beautifully in the person of Jesus Christ, and I want you to think about Jesus, that the scripture says about Jesus that he is equal with the Father. He's equal in essence. He's equal in attributes. He's equal in power. Jesus is eternal as the Father is eternal. Jesus created the world as the Father did. So here we see Jesus. Philippians 2 says, Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus says, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and my Father are one, Jesus said. But in the divine plan to save us from our sins, Jesus Christ became a man. And as a man, he submitted himself to the Father. And so here, God became man in the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And Jesus Christ of Nazareth was the God-man man who dwelled on the earth and the God-man Jesus Christ of Nazareth dwelling on the earth did all things in submission to the Father. That's why we read phrases like John 5.30 when Jesus said, I seek not mine own will, but the will of him which sent me. Or you even read stronger phrases than that when Jesus said that my Father is greater than I. What was Jesus doing? Was he saying that he was inferior to his father? Is he saying that his father had something of of greater essence and attributes and power than Jesus? No. But Jesus was honoring the order established. Honoring the order as the God-man coming as the representative of human beings to be our substitute. To represent us before the Father. To live the life we couldn't live. To die the death we deserve. To conquer the enemy that we have failed to conquer. The enemy of death when he rose again from the dead. And he honored the one who was head over him, which is God. And I want to say that honoring one's head does not imply inferiority. And again, as Bible-believing Christians, we do not believe that Jesus Christ is inferior to God the Father. He is not inferior in any way. Robert Piccarilli, the theologian, noted that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are co-equal, possessing the same essence, one God in three personal manifestations. So when we talk about Jesus being in submission to the Father, we are referring to his work in God's plan of redemption as the God man. And the same understanding applies to men and women. That men and women are not men are not superior to women, women are not inferior to man. And the man being the head of the woman does not mean that he's superior and that she is inferior. Rather, it refers to God's purposes in the created order. In essence, man and woman are equal. In Jesus Christ, they are co-heirs. They both bear the image of God equally. There's not more image of God in man than there is image of God in woman. They are equal. They both equally bear the image of God. But in God's created order, He's established roles for men and women. I'm not sure if you've heard of these terms, but most Christians either hold to the one of two positions about men and women. Some people hold to the view of complementarianism which means that God has given men and women distinct, different, but complementary roles in the home and in the church and in society. The other view is egalitarianism, which believe that roles of men and women are interchangeable, that they're not distinct, that men and women don't have different roles. And so what does living hope hold to? Well, living hope believes in complementarianism. Living Hope believes that the Scripture teaches that God has given men and women different but complementary roles in the home and in the church. So what does it look like for the husband to be the head of his wife? Is he to be domineering? Does it mean he's a bully? Does it mean he's a dictator? No. Can I ask you a question? Is that how God the Father treated His Son, Jesus Christ? When Jesus was on the earth and living as the God-man, was God the Father a bully, domineering, a dictator? Is that how God treated Jesus? When the Bible says that Jesus is the head of the church, that He's the head of man, does He treat us, His bride, as a bully, as a dictator? No! No! Headship implies leadership and loving sacrifice. We learn from Ephesians 5 that the husband as the head of the wife is actually God's picture of the fact that Jesus is the head of the church. So the husband at the head of the wife is a picture of Jesus loving his church and loving them by giving his life and the wife when she submits to her husband, is a picture of the church lovingly submitting and following Jesus. And men should never take advantage of women or abuse their authority. There's nowhere in Scripture where God commands or condones that. Rather, Scripture teaches that men are to cherish their wives, that they are to protect them and love them and sacrifice for them. And the re- one of the reasons, one of the powerful motivators for us as men not to abuse women, not to mistreat women, not to take advantage of women is because we have a head over us. We have one who is in authority over us, and that is Jesus Christ. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons that male headship Is so resisted in our culture is because men have been doing such an awful job of fulfilling God's design. John Piper argues that God created men with the responsibility as head over the woman to care for them, to protect them, to honor them. That's what it actually looks like when we're fulfilling our role correctly. And likewise, a woman's submission to the man is really her submission to God, for he's the one that established this order, and to rebel against that order is to rebel against him. So headship does not imply superiority or inferiority. But it's God's purpose. And when we're operating in our roles as we ought to, it's for flourishing A husband is sacrificing for his wife. He's cherishing and nourishing her. And when a woman is in submission to her husband, she is doing so as unto the Lord. And God's plan is fulfilled. So what does it look like to honor the order God established? Well, we have to honor that God has established the man as the head of the woman. But number two, that's not all Paul says. Secondly, we should honor that God has established that men... And women are interdependent. God's established that men and women are interdependent. In verse 10, oh excuse me, the first 10 verses, Paul is is instructing the women to honor their husbands. One of the ways that they do that practically is by wearing the shawl over their head. But he's quick to remind them in this argument about how men and women, how women should honor their husbands. But in the midst of this, he's quick to remind them that men are not independent of women. In fact, interestingly, Paul shows how interdependent men and women are on one another. I mean, look at chapter 11, look at verse 11 and 12. He says, nevertheless, in other words, he doesn't want men to take this too far. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman. Saying he's not independent, neither the woman without the man. So the woman's not independent of of the man. And then notice this phrase, in the Lord, meaning it, it, that's the Lord's plan. The Lord's the one that designed it that way. Verse 12, he clarifies how are they independent? For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. So he's saying this in verse 12 that Eve came from Adam. But Seth and Cain and Abel came by Eve. So Eve came from Adam. But the men and their family after Cain, Abel, Seth, her sons, they came by her. He's showing that creation. This is what Robert Picker really said. Creation order shows us that woman came from man. But natural order shows us that men are born by women one is as much divinely established order as the other again mutual interdependence is the point so he says men and women are interdependent women came a woman the woman came from the man came from adam but now men come by the woman through childbirth And he says, but all this is of God, verse 12, but all things of God. God's established this. In other words, there's one who is independent. There is one who is fully autonomous. And that is the God who created us, the one who established this. And that we are all dependent upon him. But he's established in his order that we would be interdependent upon one another. I mean, think about your human body. Just think about your head, your physical head. It plays a vital role in your body. If something is to happen to your head, your body can't function. But also think about your heart, your physical heart, that organ. It's called a vital organ because of how vitally important it is. If you have a massive heart attack, your whole body can't function. Your head plays a role, your heart plays a role, but they're actually interdependent upon one another. If something severe happens to your head, it really doesn't matter how healthy and functioning your heart was. If if you have a massive heart attack and your heart stops beating and, and working, it didn't matter how intact your head was. They are interdependent. Just as none of your body parts operate independently, so it is with men and women that God has designed men and women as interdependent. And this truth of our interdependence should serve to keep men from taking our position as head too far that God has created partnership between husbands and wives, and men, we desperately need our wives. God has designed it that men need women. These truths should lead both men and women to places of humility because men need women, women need men. That is how God designed it. And it's interesting, as one theologian noted, that Paul seems to be combating against two struggles. One struggle that men have primarily and one struggle that women have primarily. Not saying that we don't struggle with other things, but this seems to be something that's kind of common in men and a struggle that's common in women. What's the, what are the struggles he's combating? Well, in men, it's this male arrogance. That men struggle with arrogance. That is why men have often abused their authority. And Paul is combating this by showing this interdependence. But he is also combating what women struggle with often, and that's female insubordination. And by showing this interdependence, he is combating at both of those sins that we are drawn to. You see, none of us are autonomous and none of us can say that the other is unnecessary or inferior. So we should honor the order that God established. First, that he's established that the man is the head of the woman. Secondly, he's established that men and women are interdependent. Finally, number three, we should honor that God has established natural distinctions between men and women. We should honor that God has established natural distinctions between men and women. Verse 13, he uses the word comely. The word comely means proper, means fitting, it means appropriate. And then in verse 14, he talks about, doth not nature itself teach you? Now, can I be very clear? Verse 14, when it says, doth not nature itself teach you, he's not talking about mother nature. Boy, is that not an unbiblical notion. In The, the Bible knows nothing of mother nature. But rather, the word refers to what is natural. And Paul is pointing out that there are certain things that are proper and fitting and appropriate, there are things that are, are natural for men and women. He's talking about natural distinctions between men and women. In particular, in this passage, he, he's talking about hair. It's natural, it's fitting, it's appropriate for a woman uh, to have long hair. It's, it's more natural, fitting, and appropriate for a man to have short hair. And Paul's concern, let me quote theologian again, Robert Piccarilli. Paul's concern. "...is that it is by nature for there to be a discernible difference between men and women, and that the conventions of hair length that generally prevail in humanity show that this is natural. That much ought to be true in our day as in his. Even though the cultural conventions that demonstrate people's sense of the natural may vary somewhat in precise practice, the clear differentiation of the sexes ought to always be maintained and differences in hairstyle will be involved, else society stands in danger of what ultimately becomes sexual perversion. What's all this mean? Paul's point is that even cultures and societies recognize these natural distinctions. That is why it is honorable for men to look a certain way, and it's honorable for women to look a certain way. And there's a measure of, of, of dishonorableness or shame for men and women or th- to look a certain way. That there are natural distinctions in how men and women feel shame. There are natural distinctions in how men and women feel honor. So John Piper says that nature is a teacher for Paul, or what's natural is a teacher for Paul, and that it generally inclines man and woman to feel shame when they abandon the basic cultural symbols of masculinity and femininity. You know, I have an eight-year-old daughter, I have a seven-year-old son, they're very close in age, and it's interesting to see the differences in my child, in my children. You know, when we were walking down the street and I'm holding Carly's hand, she likes it when I twirl her. You know, I, I spin her around and all of a sudden she's big smiles. I mean, she's like in a Disney show all of a sudden. I mean, she's, she's showing off her, her grace and, and, and how she can dance, you know, and I'm spinning her around and, and she just loves it. You know, one time, just, just, just for kicks, I, I tried to spin Colby like that. I mean, he feels so awkward. I mean, he, he gave me this weird look like, what are you doing? I don't want to spin around here like a princess. It was kind of funny. I got a laugh out of that. So when I'm holding Carly's hand, we're walking down the street. Every once in a while, I'll just spin her, and she just, she smiles. She loves it. You know what Colby likes to do when we, when we walk down the street we're holding hands? We like to play the squeeze hand game. I don't know if you know what this is, but we're, we're just trying to squeeze the person's hand really hard. So I'll squeeze his hand a little bit, and he'll come back, and I look over there, and he's just squeezing me as tight as he can, veins popping out. You know, and I, just for fun, I've tried that with Carly one time. You know, not hard enough to really hurt her, but just kind of squeeze her hand a little bit. She didn't want to participate. <laughs> you know, she, she wasn't into that. That's not her taste. And just, I don't know, that's such a simple thing. But just watching my kids, I see that there are these natural distinctions between men and women. There's natural distinctions. And God has established... Natural distinctions between men and women, both in their appearance and in how they feel shame and how they feel honor. And you know, at Living Hope, one of the things that we we believe and what we want to teach is that men ought to seek to look and act like men the way that God wants a man to look and to act. And women ought to seek to look and act like women. That we want to make those distinctions clear and vivid, not confusing and blurry. That's what the world's doing, and it's creating so much instability that we ought to teach young boys to look masculine, and we ought to teach young girls to look feminine. And when we do, we're actually honoring the order that God has established. And I'm not talking about petty things. I'm not talking about male chauvinism. I'm not not talking about any of those things, but the things that God has established in the distinctions of men and women, we ought to seek to, 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 to clarify those things. We ought to seek to amplify those things. We ought, to, we ought to do all that we can to see that those things are less confusing, but they're more clear, more vivid, not blurry, as the world does. Now, it never fails. Anytime someone's reading this passage, they always have the question about hair length. Of, of, of a man's hair being too long or a woman's hair being too short. And truthfully, that, that that's that, that's an, often such an unproductive conversation. Because you know what? We all know that short and long are relative terms. And you know, I, I think it, it, in some ways it, 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 it's foolish for, for anyone to try to develop some kind of hard and fast rule as to how long a woman's hair should be and how short a man's hair should be. We're, 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 not, we're not about making any kind of hard, fast rule here at Living Hope Church. But what we do believe is that there ought to be a clear difference and distinction between a man and a woman, and certainly that includes their hair. And I believe that as we seek to abide by these distinctions between men and women, that we help to make our societies more stable. And more importantly than that, we are witnessing by our actions by submitting to our Lord and living out the distinctions that He's created. When we do that, we are witnessing to the world of the God who created them and the one that they must submit to. You know, we began this message by thinking about a third-grade child asking the question, Mommy, what does it mean to grow up to be a woman and not a man? Or a third grade boy asking, Daddy, what does it mean to grow up and be a man, not a woman? Can I say that there are a lot of people in the culture vying to answer that question for those children. Some of those people are those that I read about this week at a website called Refinery29.com. In Refinery29.com, they recently came out with a new gender glossary on their website There's over a hundred different new terms that they've defined. And the heading on the website read this Gender should be defined by the people who live it. And then the first paragraph said this In case you haven't heard, we're in the middle of a gender revolution. We aren't merely male or female, we're trans, we're gender fluid, we're non binary, we're all gender. That is to say, people are no longer confining themselves to the classification of the bodies they were born with or society's rules for what those bodies can and cannot do. There's a lot of people vying to answer the question, what does it mean to be a man or a woman? And at the heart of this gender revolution in our world is that people Not God should have the right to define gender and purpose. And our children, and even people out in the world, are asking questions. And here's what we need to face. Are we going to submit to God? Or are we going to submit to the world and to the pressure of culture? Are we going to submit to man, human beings? Or are we going to submit to God? And when we submit to God, we're witnessing to the world that they must submit to the one who made them. So we should live in a way that honors the order God has established. God has established, number one, the man as the head of the woman. And again, that doesn't mean inferiority or superiority. But it's just a part of His divine purpose. Man, the husband, husband, He pictures Christ who gave his life for his bride. The wife, the woman, she pictures the bride, the church, who submits to the loving leadership of Jesus. So God's established the man as the head of the woman. Number two, God has established that men and women are interdependent, that no one of us are autonomous or independent. We need one another. Number three, God has established... Natural distinctions between men and women. You know, the Bible was not written to make us smarter. The Bible was written to change our lives. And anytime we read the Bible, we shouldn't leave here just knowing facts. We should should leave living differently. So how do you apply this message? What should you do with this message? You should submit your life to the order that God has established. Men, that begins with us. That we have a head over us who is Jesus. And we are commanded and we will give an account for how we have led and we are to lead with the kind of sacrificial self-denying love that He demonstrated as we lead. And then women, I want to appeal to you Not to believe the narrative of the culture that submitting to male leadership means that you're inferior or that you're a doormat. I want to appeal to you not to rebel against God's design. I want you to remember that submission does not mean inferiority. Just as it didn't mean inferiority for Jesus when he submitted to the will of the Father. Remember that God has made men and women interdependent and embrace the distinct way that He has made you. And when we do that, God's plan flourishes. And what an opportunity we have in this current culture to show our submission to God, to show that we don't bow to the will of the world, but we bow to the will of God and we witness to the world that they must submit to him too, that there's coming a day when they are going to give an account to the one who made them. And when they see us in submission to him now, it witnesses to them. God wants to use our lives to call people to repentance. Let's allow. you committed your life to Jesus Christ or made a spiritual decision, we would like to rejoice with you. Please connect with us on our website, livinghopechicago.com. We hope you'll join us next time for another encouraging message from God's Word.